if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two is underway now at nine minutes past ten o'clock. Thanks for being on this free for all Friday, which is a little bit modified. I will have free for all open phone lines for you coming up after the bottom of the hour at ten thirty-five. But uh, obviously, we are very, we are very loaded with important interviews in this um, uh, first portion of the show. So I appreciate you being with us on this Friday, the twenty-seventh morning of the third month of the year of our Lord twenty twenty. Uh, thanks again to uh, Mike Mowry who joined us, as well as Admiral Brett Jawa from the uh, Health Department of Health and Human Services, the Assistant Secretary for Health, joined us to talk about. Uh, diagnostic testing of the COVID-19 virus. Joining us now, though, is somebody who's going to give us a different perspective. We have talked to a lot of doctors who are policymakers and who are researchers and who can talk about uh, the trends of the spread of this virus. We haven't talked to too many people who are treating uh, patients who are suffering from the uh, Wuhan coronavirus. And Dr. John Baugh is one of them. Dr. John Baugh is the chief medical officer and co-founder of Remote Health Solutions, which is a telemedicine company. And he has been treating and seeing coronavirus patients. He joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Dr. Baugh, thank you for the time. How are you, sir? Good, good. Good morning. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for joining us. We're going to talk about telemedicine in a moment. Boy, what an important uh, industry to be a part of right now, because that is exactly what is uh, is called for here as we try to make sure. I saw, in fact, let's start there. I wasn't going to start there, but I'm going to because I saw a stat this morning, uh, Dr. Baugh, that said 17% of the positive cases of coronavirus in the United States are healthcare workers. Workers are being infected by the patients that they're serving, even, you know, they're taking all of the necessary hygienic procedures and uh, uh, precautions that they can. Yeah, you know, you're, you're exactly right. And one of the things that we know, so not only am I the chief medical officer for Good Health Solutions, but I'm a practicing ER physician. In fact, I just got off of a, a shift working in an ER um, about an hour and a half ago. And so we're seeing patients in the ER that are positive for um, uh, COVID-19. We know that despite our best efforts in those scenarios, in those situations, we are going to be exposed and the understanding that at some point during this next several months that we're all probably going to contract um, uh, COVID-19. So, so you talk about, uh, you, you sort of lead into the, the telemedicine answer of, well, how does, how does that help us here? And, and that ability to distance ourselves um, uh, from a patient um, uh, who may or may not be infected 
is, I mean, it's really it's life-changing, and it changes the way that we practice medicine and the way that we think about practicing medicine as well, whether it is being able to keep that patient at home before they come into the hospital or send the patient home um, once they're there and diagnosed so they don't have to stay in the hospital or being able to remotely see the patient even while they're in the hospital. The whole spectrum is available for us now that really hasn't been before. Doctor, uh, that is such a great point. Um, everything is being done remotely. There's going to be a concert tonight remotely as uh, different recording artists are teaming up with uh, iHeart and Fox and some others to do a show from their perspective uh, uh, homes. Um, medicine kind of, and let's talk a little bit more about your company now, how important this is for medicine. You're an ER doc, so you know what you're being exposed to. You know what all of your nurses and other staff are being exposed to. How... Um, prevalent even after COVID-19, after this wave and that pandemic subsides, how prevalent do you think telemedicine will be where people can indeed be seen by doctors virtually rather than in person? Yeah, so I think that one of the things that has happened is over the past couple of years, telemedicine has stepped forward. um, But now I think what uh, uh, maybe the one positive thing from this is the fact that um, uh, COVID-19 has brought to the forefront the capabilities that are available through telemedicine, things that people really didn't know were out there. And for instance, I'll I'll talk about uh, um, our company, our technology, and and why we think that's important and especially relevant in this situation. Classically, we think about telemedicine as, you know, initially it was just a, a phone call, telephonic communication between a provider and a patient. And then came along the ability to have a video conversation, kind of a FaceTime, so to speak. But now, one of the things that's, uh, that's unique about uh, our technology is the ability to not only have that video call, the voice call, but also to start gathering data with uh, um, vital signs, blood pressure, oxygen saturation, heart rate. We can do 3 and 12 EKGs remotely. We can, um, uh, we can use ultrasounds remotely. We can use a myriad of cameras so that we can actually get a, a true, full investigation or evaluation of a patient. The only thing you can't do is actually touch their belly or touch, touch them, but you can see and evaluate all those things that, uh, that you need to, to to really evaluate that patient. And we've been using that now for, for uh, you know, a couple of years with, with new and increased technology. For us, um, a big area that uh, we work with is we work with the Department of Defense pretty extensively, but also we've been working with uh, seniors doing what we call remote patient monitoring, chronic care management, where we send a small little device home with those patients and daily they check their vital signs, and that gets recorded on the device, gets forwarded to the cloud, and we have some simple AI that evaluates those changes and alerts us to the, the patients who need to be seen first and often. And then we can reach out to them through a video telemedicine exam. We reduce the number of visits to the ER, we improve outcomes, and so for us, that transition from remote patient monitoring into caring for COVID patients at home, even the ones that are moderately ill, can still be at home because they have eyes on them and they have um, a vital signs that are being gathered, that data that we can gather from them that helps us to know that they are doing well or they're not doing well and we need to intervene. Dr. John Baugh is our guest. In addition to being the CMO, a C- Chief Medical Officer, as he points out, and co-founder of Remote Solutions is an ER doc as well, and he has been treating patients who have the COVID-19. Now, we all know what the symptoms are because of the coverage. Obviously, we're talking about fever. We talk about uh, difficulty breathing, talk about um, uh, uh, incessant coughing. Uh, these are the, the primary symptoms. 
What are you seeing, though? How is that manifesting itself in coronavirus patients? Because we've all had hard coughs and we can't stop. We've all had fevers. We've all had all of these things at some point or another. What is making this so different, or what are you seeing in these patients? Well, there's sort of two two questions in there. And one that I hear in there is, well, what what's different in the presentation? How do you know that you've got um, uh, COVID-19 versus, you know, I've got another non non lethal coronavirus like I diagnosed last night or a rhinovirus. Um all of these are still out there. We're still seeing influenza. The people come in with the same complaints, the cough, shortness of breath, um uh, and fever, right? So so some of that is um uh, um still going to be prevalent. They're still going to get upper respiratory infections. They're still going to have standard viruses. And that testing that um uh, that we've been emphasizing so much test, test, test is the thing that helps us tr- to truly differentiate um, uh, in our approach between a standard virus and this COVID-19. And then I think the other part of your question is, well, well, what does that mean as far as outcomes? And, and why is it such a big difference? Why do we care if it's, if it's SARS-CoV-2 versus coronavirus um, HUK1, right? There, there is a difference, but there's a difference in how we expect those patients to do, and there's a difference in, in how we treat them. And one of the things is the transmissibility. I think we've all been hearing about that. It's, it's about three times as transmissible from, from human to human. And then it's also, um, it has more of an effect upon our respiratory systems, partially because we don't have an inherent immunity against this SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 virus. Um, so we don't have an immunity against it. And then it's a reaction against our, our lungs I'm not showing these ground glass opacities, showing this pneumonia and respiratory distress, um, ARDS, which leads to respiratory failure, is really the big difference. Most people who get a standard coronavirus or people who get a rhinovirus, they're going to have um, uh, cold-like symptoms. They're going to they're going to be achy. They're going to have a cough. They're going to have a fever, and they're going to be they're going to feel like that. They're going to feel sick for um, uh, a few days, maybe a week or something, and then they're going to get better. And very never, like really, I mean, it's like never do we see um, uh, R or respiratory failure with these other viruses. Um, uh, very, very, very rarely. But the difference is now with uh, COVID-19, that's, that's not the same. 80% of the people that get COVID-19 are going to be asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic. And then, you know, 10 to 15% are going to be ill. They're going to recover. And then we see this. One to two percent. I know those numbers don't quite add up, but that one to two percent of patients um, uh, who are who are going to die. You know, that's our mortality rate right now. It's about one point five percent in America. It's about it's over ten percent in Italy, and it's about four and a half percent globally. So we look at that and we say, well, what's the difference? And and it's multifactorial, but a lot of it has to do with we don't have an inherent immunity against this brand new virus, and it's transmissible. It moves re- very rapidly from human to human. So, so that, that's why we're so concerned about it, and that's why we're trying to take so many precautions to flatten the curve, reduce um, uh, the number that are sick all at the same time, and to be able to improve outcomes overall. 
Dr. Ball, let me ask you one more question, and this one is going to be about treatments. Um, obviously, we know there have been trials on small scales of the uh, hydroxychloroquine and the chloroquine drugs, with uh, uh, particularly combined with ZPAC, with the uh, uh, with the with the Z. I can't remember what the name of the ZPAC is, but at any rate, um, it's showing a lot of promise in a lot of uh, phys- In fact, Dr. Fauci, Fauci, who's uh, on the uh, White House uh, coronavirus response team, uh, said that if he were treating patients right now and he was treating a COVID nineteen patient, he would absolutely prescribe hydroxychloroquine uh that doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody but what is your view of that uh the the possibility and the potential of that being the real game changer that many in the medical medical community are calling it yeah no i i actually agree with dr Fauci that uh, that hydroxychloroquine coupled with azithromycin seems to be the best answer that we have right now you're exactly right it's not perfect not it's not going to work for everybody but it seems to have the best opportunity for um, a promising outcome. There are some other things that they're trying right now, and as, as you mentioned, you know they're working through some some, some trials right now. Um, uh, using this across the country, people are using it, you know, quote off label, but they are trying to get some medical studies out there to be able to actually prove that it's effective, um, uh, and and not just um, uh, what we're seeing, you know. But um, uh, additionally, they are trying some of the antiretrovirals. They're trying some of the, the antivirals and the, and the AIDS medications. They're even trying some uh, of the, uh, the serum antibodies from uh, recovered patients. So they are trying multiple um, avenues as we work through the process of defining what's the best treatment option and as we're working through um, uh, forming and then uh, distributing a vaccine for, for the upcoming seasons. Dr. Bond, there you go. You just said the word. You beat me to my last question. It was about the upcoming season. Dr. Fauci and others have said that this looks like it could be seasonal, similar to the flu. Does that mean we are looking at this fall? You know, if the, God willing, this pandemic subsides substantially before the summer. I know President Trump has talked about wanting to get uh, the country back to work, at least on a limited basis by Easter. I mean, God willing, we are on that path that by summer it's gone. But are we looking at a recurrence of this in the fall? And if so, will we be doing the same thing we're doing now? Will we be shutting down businesses and things like that to practice the social distancing? Or will this research give us something a little bit better that, you know, if it does come back in the fall and it does become seasonal, we'll have a way to treat it to the point where we don't have to grind the country to a standstill? Yeah, I think I think two, two answers there. And one is you know, we sure hope that... Um, uh, it, it does lessen by summertime, and when it returns in the fall, um, hopefully we've built up enough immunity in the community as a whole and as individuals that it doesn't have the same effect. That, that really is, is the key here. And we, may, we surely won't have a, a widespread vaccine by this fall time. We, you know, we're talking a year before right. we have that to be able to distribute out through, through the community, through the country. But also, um, uh, uh, we don't think that we'll be seeing the same level of effects. And we also have a lot of people who've already been sick and have, like I said, have an immunity inherently um, uh, by that point. That's what we're going to hope for. Uh, we really, really hope that the worst is what we're experiencing now, and that when it comes back in the next season, that it is something. You're right. We don't have a vaccine, but we may have a treatment to limit the effects of it, and hopefully uh, people will be a little bit more immune to it at the time. Dr. John Baugh, Chief Medical Officer and Co-Founder of Remote Health Solutions, and uh, which is a telemedicine company and an ER doc who is treating these patients on the front lines. Doctor, thank you so much for all of your insight and, uh, and wisdom. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. 10.23. Uh, get a timeout now. Guess what? Now we can commence 
with the um, free-for-all Friday. We are guest-free the rest of the way. I told you it was very heavy in the beginning. We've had three guests on in the uh, first hour and 20 minutes of the show, but uh, you are the guest now. 216-901-0945, Let's do it on AM 1420, The Everybody. All right, short segment here, obviously, at 1028 as we catch up uh, from three long interviews. Uh, I think all of them had a lot of great value, and I hope you do as well. Uh, I want to share with you just a little bit more. Again, kind of a retrospective. We're going to do this on uh, on every Friday now. Just we're going to look at have a little bit of a look back at all of the great guests that we had on the program, and maybe <laughs> excuse me, maybe uh, give you a little bit of a taste of some of the ones that you missed. And uh, we know that you can't listen. We know that the audience turns over uh, very rapidly, so we know you can't list all the time. But I had some doctors on today, and I also had another one on earlier this week, Doctor Lindsey Burke, talking about uh, again dealing with coronavirus. And why can't I hear Dr. Burke? Oh, probably because the uh, volume is down. Sorry about that. Here we go. The big part of this is what you pointed out, that if you are in that lower income earnings tier, that you do qualify for more of the grant money. And, of course, grants don't have to be repaid. So this would be something like Pell Grants. And then sort of moving up that income ladder there, if you're in the middle income tier, you do also qualify for subsidized student loans as well, up to a, a level. And then in the higher end, you don't qualify for those subsidized loans anymore, but you can still access unsubsidized student loans. And that's- Dr. Burke was joining us. Dr. Burke is not medical doctor. She's Ph.D. Dr. Burke, and she is an education specialist and was discussing the uh, student loans uh, that were going to be forgiven, according to the Democrats, in the uh, coronavirus relief bill. Now, another medical doctor was John Davidson, who joined us uh, this past Wednesday, again, in discussing more of the details on what the virus is actually There has doing. to be some balance between how long this goes on and getting our economy back and running. You know, the data from China shows two months. Um, you know, they, but obviously they did what they could do, and they basically locked down an entire city. I think that what we're doing right now is actually working pretty well. Now, look at the country at large. You see that we got a horrible, horrendous outbreak in New York City, for example. We all know this. But Ohio, you know, I'm personally cautiously optimistic that we're doing some things really well in Ohio. And if you listen to the president and other government leaders, we talk about maybe we could open up things in a piecemeal fashion. I think that's probably realistic. That could be realistic. I think it's realistic, too, and I think we're going to do that sooner rather than later. But again, how dare I be optimistic? How dare I spread unbridled optimism? Actually, it's a little bit bridled. But how how dare I spend opti- uh, or express optimism in a time when we're supposed to see nothing but doom and gloom, which is exactly what the media wants us to see? We'll talk more about that with you after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward and upward at 1036. Free for all Friday commences now for the next 24 minutes. Anything you want to talk about is fair game. If you want to stay on the uh, Wuhan coronavirus, we can do that. If you want to pivot into anything else, we can do that too. Baseball season was supposed to start yesterday. It didn't. Kids, what's interesting too, I'm going to definitely ask your thoughts about this. I had a call earlier this week from somebody who said, you know, 
all of these snowflake kids complaining about missing this or missing that, uh, if the worst thing they have to do is miss, uh, you know, a uh, part of their sports season or miss their uh, graduation ceremony, there's a lot worse things in life that you're going to deal with when you grow up. Uh, this is no big deal. Uh, I'm going to talk about that because I, I, we talked about it the morning of because I got a message from somebody who said, agree and disagree. Because right now, I mean, yeah, big picture, when you're 40 and looking back, you know, yeah, there's no big deal that I missed that. But big picture in their lives right now when they miss things, it is a big deal to them right now. So talk about how you're coping with the things that you're missing. Talk about how you're coping if you're missing your job. 3.3 million people had to file for unemployment yesterday. And that number is going to go up because the economic ramifications, we don't even know what they're going to be yet. Fortunately, the Dow is surging back. It has gained 20% in the last three days, and that's a good thing. But obviously, there's going to be a long, long, tough road to hoe for all of us to uh, come back from this. So any of those avenues that you want to uh, go down when you call, do it now, 216-901-0945. Let's go to Strongsville. Robert, sorry, it says Bob, but I'm just being formal with you. Bob, you are on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, all the national and local TV stations cut the president's briefing short. This shows me that they're acting as uh, communist dictators. Could you put some pressure on them to make sure that, uh, you know, they uh, complete his show? I mean, they should have the whole show, not just uh, cut it short. Well, I'll say this, Bob. Um First of all, I don't know if all of them are doing that. I watched the president's briefing yesterday on Fox 8, not Fox News, the cable channel, but Fox 8, local channel. And um, I believe they carried the entire thing. Uh, in fact, it went on through our dinner. Uh, and then uh, when I was done eating dinner, it was right still on. So I think they carried the entire thing. So I don't think it's all of them. Um, I think NPR and I think uh, some of the cable channels like NB or I mean MSNBC and CNN and others are not carrying it. Uh, PBS isn't carrying it um, uh, in full or or you know or at all. And you know the reason why, Bob? They know that President Trump is doing a good job, and the American people say so. Um, the president's approval rating continues to climb, and that scares the bejesus out of them. Um, the more he talks, the more uh, the American people watch him, the more they realize we actually do have steady-handed leadership here, and they don't want to show that. So, yeah, um, I don't know if I would go to so, so far as to call them dictators, but they are definitely trying to control the flow of information, my friend. You know, I disagree with because I've watched Channel 3. They cut them short. Then I switched to Channel 5. They cut them short. And then I went to Channel 8, they cut him short. They, they had him talk, but when, he, when they were asking questions to him, that was done. They didn't let oh, him So they covered him. his speech part, his presentation, but not all of the Q&A with the media. They should have done the whole thing, because that gave more information out. Because then gotcha. I switched to uh, Trivisano. And Trivisano showed the right, whole well, let's thing. Say, Bob, 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 we're not on that channel. We're on a different channel. So how about we talk about what we're doing here? Well, you know, I mean, you guys are good, but I mean, that's how I found out they cut him short. Okay, I got you. I got you, Bob. Listen, and I'll say this. Thank you for the call, my friend. I appreciate it. Um, that's a tough call, I think, for the local news directors that make those decisions, to be truthful, whether they cover the entire Q&A, because they know... Um, that this is being covered on on the cable channels as well. They know that if somebody really wants to watch the full Q&A with every reporter's question and answer, that they can probably get that elsewhere, but they have local news to cover here. So it's probably not as 
in my opinion, it's not as egregious as it is at the cable network level. What I mean by that is when MSNBC and CNN on the cable news channels cut him short and don't carry it, I think they're trying to influence public opinion. I think they're trying to decrease President Trump's visibility because they know that the American public, uh, again, by a 60% margin, approve of the job he is doing in this coronavirus fight. And I think they're trying to hurt him. And so they try to limit him. I don't necessarily think, and this is just an opinion, and I might be wrong. Bob, you and you might be right. I don't think the local news directors, uh, because they're not carrying all of the Q&A that can be found on cable, and they want to get back to the local news, I don't think there's, they're necessarily trying to influence public opinion in Cleveland. I don't think they're trying to just, you know, well, we're not going to carry him in Northeast Ohio, or actually they are carrying him, but they're just not carrying all the Q&A with all of the reporters. I don't think they're quite as egregious, in my opinion, as the uh, cable nets are. Uh, thank you, good sir. Uh, Middleburg Heights next. Dan, on AM 1420, The Answer. Dan, go ahead. Hi, Bob. I'd just like to just, uh, if I may, just follow up on that, uh, what you just mentioned, then, you know, and yeah, your please. opinion and everything, what's going on. Based sure. on the ground figures and uh, actually some of your guests you had, including today, uh, you know, ground figures and actual what's going on compared to projections that Amy Acton, Ohio, and other governors, uh, you have to look at this as the whole picture uh, I believe, based on that, uh, that this is basically, unfortunately, a, a far-left Democratic operatives using talking points, using public the power of public health as a vehicle to take down the economy, to take down Trump. For instance, the, the doctor you had earlier today in the first hour, mm-hmm. when he gives figures of his experience of treating people he doesn't do positives and deaths he also gave you the negative and it was 90 to 10 but ohio and and other governors and all the other projections across the country in unison only tell you positives and deaths never negatives which will take down all the other percentages so i believe it's a stealth operation unfortunately well, I, I believe that the media has been trying to scare people right from the very beginning. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I've called this an overreaction, trying to be reasonable and trying to be objective in this whole thing. Um, you know, And what we're finding out now is Dr. Fauci, again, who I do not believe to be politically motivated. I think he's a doctor, and he is, again, he has advised and, and counseled presidents on matters of health and, and pandemics and epidemics all the way back to Reagan. So he's been there for every Republican and every Democrat, and he serves them the same way in my opinion. But he was wrong on this. He, um, uh, uh, Bernard Carrick uh, in, uh, from New York, the former uh, New York uh, uh, police commissioner, uh, tweeted this, that Dr. Fauci told President Trump and the media that he expected this to be about a 3% mortality rate in the United States. This is at the outset of all of this. Now, he says, it will be closer to the seasonal flu mortality rate of about 0.01%. So was he trying to scare people at the beginning? Uh, I I don't think so for political reasons. I think he's a doctor who is projecting worst-case scenarios. But the media hears that stuff, and they are the ones that broadcast the doom and the gloom, and this is the Black Plague, and there's nothing we can do to stop it, and they say it's because of the incompetent leadership of Donald Trump. They're the ones that I think are trying to take down Trump. They're the ones that I think are trying to scare the economy into a giant hole, and they're working, of course, with their colleagues in the uh, uh, in the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives. Also in the states, though, Bob, it's very important because here's what's going to happen. I'll predict that Donald Trump next week's going to come out and say 
basically, maybe except for one or two areas like New York or Washington, he's going to say, go back to work. And I'm going to guarantee you, you're going to have guys like uh, DeWine, Michigan, and any other state, New York, Cuomo, they're going to say the states are going to take it upon themselves to stretch it out farther all the way into summer towards well, that the states election. have already the states are already the ones calling the shots. We are right. not under a federal lockdown. President Trump hasn't ordered also anything by the deep state operatives because they're they uh, look at the, the governor from Michigan yesterday does a, uh, they're they're suing pharmacies for uh, using the drug that all the other channels and Laura Ingram these yeah. patients are saying it's helping me. Yeah, yeah, that, that, no, that, stealth, that is exactly right. But, but my point, at... yeah, my point to that is, I think the I don't think the president is going to go as far as you say. I think he is going to say on a limited basis, not just with the exception of one or two areas, but on a limited basis, let's start to phase in going back to work and putting people, uh, you know, back in public, uh, but while also trying to practice the good habits that uh, are necessary to make sure this doesn't continue to spread. Um, but but again, that you're right that there are going to be governors. And they're going to be local leaders, whether they be county executives or mayors or whatever, who are also going to say, in our city, this is still our ordinance, or in our state, this is still our order. Uh, because guess what? We have states' rights, and uh, we should, uh, and they're going to make those decisions. It'll be up to people like you, my friend, and thanks for the call. It'll be up to people to contact you know, Governor DeWine, excuse me, Governor DeWine's office, contact your state representatives, your state uh, senators, and so on, and really express what you want to have happen here. President Trump cannot force any governor to do anything. That's the beauty of, you know, the fact that we are 50 United States. We are United States, but we are, we do indeed have states' rights, and our leadership is going to make those decisions. And if you believe the leadership in Ohio is making the wrong decisions, well, that's going to be up to you to change. President Trump isn't going to be able to do that. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate the call. Uh, where are we going next? TJ in Cleveland, AM 1420, The Answer. TJ, go ahead. Yeah, You know, Bob, once this uh, virus is defeated, and it will be defeated eventually, I think there's going to be a huge awakening in the country. I think a lot of American parents are going to look at there's a better alternative to educating your children than putting them in indoctrination centers in public schools. I think the American people are going to question why in the 90s China was allowed into the WTO to allow our pharmaceutical companies to relocate to an enemy country. Uh, are you listening, Mr. Yes, Clinton? Sir. Yes, sir. Uh, I'll tell you another awakening that's coming, Uranium One. People are going to wonder how, uh, under uh, Barack Obama's tutelage, with the help of Hillary Clinton, that 80% of our uranium assets were sold to another hostile country, Putin and Russia. Uh, I think people like, uh, are you listening, Sherrod Brown, lifetime politicians, how did you allow this to happen? And, you know, when people think of uranium, Bob, first thing they think of is the bomb. Most of the uranium is used in our medical industry. We handed that over to an enemy, too. What were these people doing? Were they asleep at the switch, or were they making deals so they could stuff their pockets in a roundabout way from these foreign entities? And we look at uh, Biden and his son, and it's obvious how a lot of these politicians make their money. They suck it out of America. They give it to a foreign interest, and that foreign interest pays them back through the back door. And I think there's going to be a huge awakening before this is all over. TJ, great stuff, my friend. I appreciate it. And the answer to your question, short answer to your longer question is yes, they were asleep at the switch. And I think everybody, not just the Democrats, but everybody, by allowing uh, all of that stuff to be uh, passed over to and in, in, uh, to be regulated and uh, uh, run by foreign countries, I completely agree. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Let me get another one from uh, Bay Village. George on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, George. 
Yeah, hi, Bob. See, that last call was a humdinger there. I'll tell you, that those were my thoughts exactly. But why I'm calling, Bob, mm-hmm. is you do a great job advertising and promoting Kowalski Ford. They're about three miles from me in Avon Lake. Now, I just want to say one thing about them, how they reached out to me. I'm 77, Bob, and so was my wife. And I, I called them a week ago about some business issues. And uh, Amber, a wonderful gal in the office, she says, George, can we go to the store for you? Can we buy you anything? And I was blown away, Bob, by their thoughtfulness and kindness toward a customer. I, you know, I just have a, a plain little Ford, uh, you know, it's nothing special, Ford Escape. But they treat, they've treated me like... I bought some big stuff from them. And then last week, last or this week, Monday morning, I got a call from Kowalski Ford. It was Cindy. And she says, George, make up a list for, you know, you and Carol make up a list and we'll go to the store for you. Wow. So with, with all this negative crap going on, Bob, this, I, I, I hope some of your listeners that are in this western Cuyahoga County area recognize what a wonderful dealership Kowalski Ford is. I mean, they're, they're like a family, and they're, they're uh, treating me like a family, Bob. George, I am so glad to hear you uh, shine a spotlight, a spotlight like that on somebody who's, who's looking to help other people in a really difficult and desperate time for people who may need more assistance like you just described. Uh, that, is, that is a great, great story to hear. I'm so glad to hear you tell it, and I thank you so much for calling us, uh, George, to talk about that. I said a couple of days ago when we talk about how uh, this is a time when Americans come together. Um, it's kind of like post 9-11 where everybody who helped everybody else who needed help. And I was lamenting the fact that it, in Congress, at the very least, there's not that spirit of unity that there was after 9-11. There's not, the Democrats weren't coming to the president and saying, we want to help. How can we help solve this? How can we deal with this? Rather, they were trying to condemn him, criticize him, and undercut him. But I did say a couple of days ago, there are many in the um, believe it or not, in the in the celebrity community who are helping other people. And I named some athletes, and I named some actors, and I named some musicians and others who are doing really great things just to help people that aren't, you know, aren't themselves. It's so much more important to hear local people who aren't celebrities and who aren't doing this for advertising. I guarantee you what George just told us Regan Kowalski and Cindy Kowalski did not uh, want him to tell you. These people, when people do things privately for other people to help them in a time of need, that's what America's all about. And they do it for selfless reasons. They do it because it's the right thing to do, not because it's going to get them positive publicity or it's going to get them, uh, you know, some sort of business or whatever. I just, I just want to emphasize that. This is the example that I was talking about. People reaching out to help people in need at a time of calamity and crisis. And that's what we're in right now. And uh, that's not doing a commercial here. And I know George wasn't doing one for them. But I'll tell you what, that's why I'm proud to work with that that dealership. Okay, 1052. Sorry, that was extended. But uh, George, God bless you and Bay Village. I hope you take good care of yourself, sir. And I'm glad to know that other people are there to take care of you, too. Back after this.
Okay, 1056, final segment uh, this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. Nancy and Wycliffe is up next. Hi, Nancy, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, Nan- uh, Hi, Bob. Um, thanks for having a well-balanced show. You're giving the health side and the business side. It's, it's great. Thank Anyways, you. I want to talk about us people who have cut the cord. We can't afford cable anymore. So when these, um, I have an indoor antenna, I can get three and five, but when they cut the president's news short, I go to the radio. Okay, now when the radio cuts it short, I have nowhere to go. Um, mm. And also, you know, the television will be having the, the the local news on at 10 or 11. So why do they have to cut the president short like this? You know, we'll be getting the local um, news. Let me ask you this. Do you, do you have the Internet in your house? No. Okay, I was going to say if you don't have cable, uh, the, you, mm, the, most yeah, of the no. most of the networks will run it streaming on their it. websites. Yeah, unfortunately, can't afford it. But we're going to have the local news on at ten or eleven. Why do they have to, um, you know, bring in the local news at, uh, you know, right in the middle of his what he's trying to do and all the health professionals? We all want to know about this information. I will say know? this: I, 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 I kind of wish the president and his team would change the time of these. Um, they used to Mike DeWine does his at two o'clock every day, roughly two o'clock. You know, for the mm-hmm. Ohio state of the state situation, they're doing it at like two o'clock, so it doesn't interfere with the local news. Um, I, I wish the president would do something similar, like at three he o'clock or whatever. Previously. That way, it doesn't run into the news. Yeah, he did come on uh, earlier uh, previously. I can't remember what time it was, but I remember being able to listen. But uh, most of the, the last few days, they've been starting at around five or five thirty. Yeah, and it's really running into late. The, yeah, so so I don't know what the answer is. Uh, and, yeah. and you're right, there is there is local news coming on at ten and eleven and so on and so forth. So I do understand what you're saying. Uh, but again, that's that's something news directors all over the country right. have to decide if it's coming on <laughs> at a time when you know, when they have their local newscast scheduled. So right. Thank you okay, so much, Nancy. You. I appreciate your call, uh, Navy Man Norm. Going to wrap it for us, Norm. Go ahead, sir. Wednesday, my next-door neighbor came over with a copy of the Plain Dealer op-ed page by Robert Weissman from Public Interest, demanding that the president resign. And the reason the neighbor brought it over is because I don't subscribe to the Plain Dealer. <laughs> anyway. What, what, was the, what was the reasoning behind it, if you dared to even read it? Because he's a failed leader. His leadership, there is none. And we have to have shared uh, unity in this country. Anyway, I got a hold of Mr. Weissman at Public Interest, Bob, by hook or by crook, and he was floored that I was able to reach him. And he wanted to know how I got a hold of him. I said, that's for you, for me to know and you to find out. And then I went into it. I told him it was the most asinine piece of drivel I had ever read, and I felt he was a coward. Well, well, here, here's, Norman, I, gotta, I don't have any time, so I got to go here, but, but here's the thing I would say to him. You know what? 60% of Americans approve of the job the president is doing in this leadership role, so perhaps uh, maybe you should rethink your position. That's all the time that I've got. Thank you so much. Stay here. Mike Gallagher's next.